This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. Good morning. We are going to continue in the book of Matthew. We are in chapter 4, verse 18. This morning we're going to go over verse 18 through 22, but we're going to go through all four of the Gospels so that we can see this in its fullness, the chronological calling of the first disciples. Um, that's why we always say here, you should read the fullness of the Bible, read all of it to see exactly what happened because the way that Matthew and Mark describe it is not actually how it went down. That's not the way that it went. Did it happen that way? Most certainly it did, but did it happen that way? No. That's the awesome part. <clears throat> we all know that it's the vantage point of the person or whoever's writing it. They put the details in that they found were important, and others put details that they found were important. And we're all that way. If we were to write about the same event, we would write about what we deemed important, most important about that. So if we read all four accounts, then we can see everything and we can kind of get a general idea of what that individual feels is important like in the book of mark we've seen that from the very beginning that he's all about immediately it's about how quick things were done what was done precisely that was done and it was done immediately you know in other words it, it, it he didn't tarry the lord never tarried he knew what he was going to do that's exactly what he did which meant he was being obedient in the moment every single time which is something that we should learn. Um, in each one of the writers, you'll see something different that they that they picked out. So if you would bow your head. Father, we thank you for yet another time to be in your word. God, I thank you for those who are gathered in here this morning. Father, be with us as we as we study your word this morning. Father, if there's a discrepancy in, in what I believe, Lord, let it be shown this morning, Father. I thank you for the week that we've had, God, that you've brought us back to this place at this time. I pray for the infirmities in the bodies, God, those spiritual battles that people are fighting and even the mental battles that people are fighting. Father, we just ask that you would move on our behalf and on those that we love, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in, we're going to start out in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. We will read the whole of it, and then we'll start breaking every bit of this down. So beginning in Matthew 4 and 18, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, notice that, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Um, if, if that's all we read, that's awesome. That's a great depiction of what happened because that is what, that is what happened. The Lord called them and they left. The thing that I was left with as a new believer and as I studied this, why did they leave just because he said that to them? Not that he doesn't have the power and the authority to do that, but I can't find that anywhere else in the gospel. Jesus Christ has a personal relationship with every single person. He always revealed himself in some way, shape, or form. Like it or not, He at this time, it was about what you could see. 
It really was. This time of his ministry was about what you could see. Just as he said, there's coming a time where I'm not going to be here. So while there's day, there's works that need to be done. They ask, why, why, do your, why do they not fast? Why do your followers eat? Why do they do all these things? Why do they not? But because I'm here now, there's coming a time when I'm not going to be here. And all these things that you're talking about, that's going to happen. But for now, I'm here. So while I'm here, they can see. But they're going to have to rely on the faith that they have in what they had seen. There's coming a time, which is why we have eyewitness testimony as believers now so that we can look back at what they saw. This is eyewitness testimony. It's not a story. I know we call them stories. And in our mind, it is the story of Jonah and the well. It's the testimony of Jonah and the well. It's not a story. Stories are something that man made up. A story is made up. This is prose. This is real writing about real things that really happened, inspired by the Spirit of God, God Himself. So it has, it has a little more weight and validity to it. It should to the believer. To the one who isn't, it doesn't. But let's look at the, the first heading that we have, Returns to Galilee After Temptation. All right, so this is, this is the way I looked at it. I see there's four things that happen. Originally, Jesus Christ leaves Nazareth because that's where he's been raised because that's where the angel told them to go, right? The angel told them to go to Nazareth. We talked about that last week about the difference between the Herods and the Herods that were Philip that was evil, Antipas that was evil, how evil each one of them was. So they settled in a region where there was one of the Herods, but he wasn't evil. He wasn't looking to kill Jesus at that time. So he goes from Nazareth to Galilee to be baptized in the Jordan. Okay, then from that point, he leaves straight from there and goes into the wilderness. Now, we're not really sure. It actually never says where the wilderness is, but what they believe, the wilderness was in Arabia. It was, it was a desert. In other words, he left the valley and went up into the mountains, into an arid, dry, terrible place with all of everything that could kill him. And that's where he was. We learned that two weeks ago. Then he left from there and went to Galilee. And then from Galilee, again, then he leaves Galilee and goes to where? He goes back to Nazareth. Then he goes, then in Nazareth, he goes back to Galilee. And that's where it's lost. I'm not going to say in translation, but there's pieces that are missing because the way we see it is not the way that it really is. He's moving from one place to the other to the other. If you just take Matthew and Mark's account of this, you don't see him go back to Nazareth once he's in Galilee. He's in Galilee and he leaves and goes back to Nazareth. You don't see that. So this is what we see. And if you would turn to Luke, or I'll just read it. I have it marked in my, in my, uh, in my Bible. I have little papers in there. But Luke 4 and 14 through 15, we see what happens. Remember, this is chronological. So Jesus in Luke 4, 14 and 15, it tells us this. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Now, he has no followers. As far, he has no followers at this time. Understand that. No one. He just came out of the wilderness, and he starts the gospel. Because what the last thing that we saw in Luke 4 and 13 was, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. And that's one place we left off last week. We were talking about that. When was that opportune time? Anytime he got the opportunity throughout his ministry, but especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was, that was the moment that he was waiting for, was his 
the greatest weakness of Christ, if you want to say that, fleshly, spiritually, he's praying through, he's, he's seeking an answer. He's sweating blood. So this is, that's the time he was looking for. So immediately after that, it says that he goes to Galilee. So he leaves the desert, and he goes back to Galilee, where he was when he was baptized, and he ministers there for a season. And we're going to see why that's important. If you would turn to John chapter 1, why is that important? Because in John chapter 1, we see a, a large part that explains why whenever he goes and calls these disciples, the reason they followed him. There's more to it than just he's walking along and he says, hey, come follow me. That is not how it happened. That's what we were taught. That's what you believe, but that is not what the Bible says. There's, there's things that happened in between that that gave these men the faith and the confidence to leave what they had and follow this man. No one follows Christ just because they follow Christ. There has to be faith and there has to be belief. Aside from those two things, no man can come to the Father unless they're drawn. Christ drew these men, and then whenever he said, follow me, the confidence they had in him and who he was, they followed him. It's no different for you and I. God gives us glimpses all along. I'm working with a lady. She needs the Lord, but she saw the Lord do something in the past week that she that grew her faith, as she says. We had a conversation about it. She said, it was spiritual, and you may think I'm crazy. I said, you know good and well I don't think you're crazy. And she laughed. She said, no, but I can talk to you about this. And what happened was God ordained a moment in time for her to be there to help a child that otherwise would have been in a grave danger. She was sick, had a sickness, doesn't know, went to the emergency room. They couldn't find anything, didn't come to work that day. But guess what? She saved a child of another teacher at our school because she went and returned home because she was sick instead of going to work. That literally happened. Now, what she does with that, here's the deal. What she does with that now is her. That's the whole thing is Jesus gives us opportunities. God gives us opportunities in life to see him. Then we have to decide what we do with that. And guess what? That is in it's her will now. What will she do with the reality that God did something and she saw it, spoke that she knows that's what it was. What are you going to do with that? That's where I do have my own will. And I do have a part to play in this that's active. I have an active role in everything because she has a choice to make. And Lord willing, it'll be a positive one. So in John 1 and 35, we see where we pick up. It says, and again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus has just come out of the wilderness. This is where we pick back up. Jesus is in the wilderness. Jesus leaves the wilderness. And as he walks onto the scene, John's standing there with, with actually with his disciples, two of them. And they see Jesus coming, and John says, there he is, it's Jesus. Well, what we had just seen a couple weeks ago was he had just baptized Jesus. Jesus goes away, and the next time we see in Luke, it's picked back up. Jesus is returning from the wilderness, and John is like, there he is. So this is what it says <clears throat> in verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So it doesn't say who the other one was, so we know it's John. 
There is one that's not mentioned. This one that's not mentioned is John. Who's writing this? Who's writing this? John. This is the book of John. So that there's two of them. Notice, there's two of them. It says there were two disciples standing with him right, and it says one of those disciples was Andrew. Never names the other disciple. The, other, the unnamed disciple's not there, which is <laughs> pretty amazing. But, okay, he says, was Andrew Simon Peter's brother? So Simon Peter, that's who, who we're about to hear about, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, has Peter, has Peter been called yet? No. This is Jesus Christ met Peter before he ever called him on that shore. Right? You see this. So already we see there's a little bit more to the calling of the first disciples than what we had originally thought in Matthew and Mark if we were only to take those two accounts. Then the next day he purposed to go into Galilee and found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. First one he actually said, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now that's a big thing to say. You're not a deceitful. There's no guile in your mouth. You are an upright Israelite. Do you know what it would take to be an upright Israelite? That man's life had to be every dot and every everything was right. An upright, no deceit in an Israelite. I can't imagine that. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. <laughs> Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. So he has a realization. So the first person that we see, that's another thing. Who calls Jesus the Christ first, as far as we all knew? Peter. Who, what did he just say? He just called him Christ. He said, You are the Son of God. In other words, you're the Messiah. Peter was not the first person to see Jesus Christ as the Messiah. I've, I've been taught that my whole life, but I can't get over the fact that I just read it right there. You are the Son of God. There is none other than the Son of God. That is Jesus Christ. You are the King of Israel, he says, even to back that up further. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, very, verily, verily, as it says in the other, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. Uh, it's, and that day is coming. Okay, So that, that fills in that part. Now, I want you to notice, that's John's followers follow Christ. These are Jesus' first converts. It doesn't say they're his disciples. They believe in him now. There's a belief that they have in him. So John is not in prison and Jesus has just returned from temptation. Let's note that. John is not in prison at this time. Jesus meets Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and an unnamed disciple whom they believe is John. That's what all the commentators believe. He changes Simon's son of John to Cephas or Peter. So now we have Peter. This is cutting the ear off Peter. This is him. They are, yet, they are not yet disciples, just converted believers. Now here's the thing. He didn't ask them to follow him where he goes, because guess where he's fixing to go? He's fixing to go to Nazareth. 
He's going to Nazareth right now. And nobody goes with him. He's by himself. So in Luke 4, 16 through 30, <clears throat> and that, that is the crazy thing about the, about the word. John, in, in the first chapter, he does so much because it's like 147 verses. And in these others, you get to the fourth before you find these things. So in John 4, 16 through 30, we find Jesus... I'm going to read 14 just to give context to what we just read. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. That's exactly what John said. But John gives all the details of he, him meeting these five people who will soon be his actual disciples. We don't get that in any other gospel but John. Then it says in 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue of the Sabbath on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Now he's left Galilee, and he's gone back to where? To Nazareth. And we, we learned that last week. He did that. He went by himself. He went to do this. Now what have these men, these men that now believe that he is, they've left John. They're no longer John's disciples. They're going to follow after Christ. They believe on Him now. What did they go back to do? Their jobs. They literally just went and did their jobs because that's what people were like, well, why are they not with them? They had jobs. They had fam Peter had a wife. They had families. They had things that they had to take care of. They had obligations. Both of these men that we'll see, the four that we see called, all had fathers and they worked for their fathers fishing. So they had obligations to their fathers. So they went back to doing just what they were doing. What do we find them do after Jesus Christ has been crucified? They go back to what they're doing, which lets us know that they didn't, we'll see this later, they didn't just give up everything they had. You know, when it says they just turned and followed him and left everything behind, they did. Okay, if that wasn't secure with their father or whoever took it over, how did they go back to it so quickly? They made provision. There was provision made. They didn't just walk away. That's one of the things people say, well, that's kind of what they did wasn't right. No, you're reading it out of context. you got to look at the whole of it. They didn't just leave and forsake everything. That's not, how that, that's not how that actually happened. So we'll get to that here shortly, Lord willing. Um, in 4, 16 through 30, okay, we've, we've read all of this before. There's no reason to read every single bit of it. Um, but that gives you the context of where he was and what happened in Nazareth. We know last week what happened. They tried, they wanted to kill him because this is what he says. And why did they want to kill Christ from the very beginning? Because of who he said he was. In verse 18, the, he's reading from, uh, from the prophet. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, this is it. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Now, they're really happy what he's saying right now, right? That's a good word he just spoke because they know that he's talking about the Messiah. Yes, thank God, there, Israel will be redeemed. Like there's a redeemer that's coming. 
And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city. It led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him off the cliff, but passing through their midst, he went his own way. He enraged them. He just told them the truth, and I'm not going to get into what that truth is, but there's, you preached about it explained, expounded on what those things meant. They had Those things had an underlining context that they understood, and it made them angry because they knew what he was saying to them. So then in 31, and he came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. So what we just saw in Nazareth, that's all we get of Nazareth. And then starting in verse 31, where is he back? He's gone back. So we see he returns alone to Nazareth, after his encounter with John's disciples, to be disciples, the to be disciples go back to fishing, working just after his crucifixion. So that's another piece of it that if we looked at it chronologically, we can see where Jesus was. So it should make more sense now when Jesus says, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men because we're getting more context as we go along. Now we're going to go to Mark verse 1, 14, it says Jesus returns to Galilee to call his first disciples. So we've looked at that in Matthew. Now let's look at it in Mark. Mark pretty much just reiterates what Matthew says. It's almost verbatim. It says in, in verse 1, Mark 1, 14 through 15, Now after John had been taken into custody, we're talking about timeline now, the timeline. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So when did he come back from Nazareth? We learned last week when John had been thrown into prison. So when, the last time that we saw him, John saw him and said, here, he met, four, he met five men who will eventually be his disciples. And then he leaves and goes back to Nazareth. He makes them very angry because he tells them some truths that they don't like to hear. Then he doesn't come back. That's a short period of time, we would assume. By the time he's coming back, John's already been thrown into prison. So John's ministry, after he baptized Christ, the one of the things he says, and it's not where we were, but he tells them, he tells them in another, that he must increase as I must decrease. And that's what he's talking about. He tells his disciples, go and follow after him. Because I must decrease and he must increase. Now, did he realize that in order... For Christ to increase, he was going to have to be thrown in jail and no longer have a ministry. I, I don't believe he knew that at the time, but that's what it took. And that's what we talked about last week. That's death to self. In order for Christ to increase, you've got to imprison, destroy. You have to get rid of self and move it out of the way so Christ can be the one who increases. And that's not a simple thing to do. It's, it's, that's just the reality of it. So in Luke 4, 31 through 44... We're going to find the next piece. Because this is when he's returned back to Galilee. For, in John, I'm sorry, in Luke 4 and 31. 
where we had just left, right? The last thing we saw, they were going to throw him off a cliff. Well, then he returns back. As he returns back, and he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do you have with each of us, with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? So the demons know exactly who he is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement come upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. So this is him. He comes straight back, and this is what he does. What he did at Nazareth, he went to Nazareth, and he went straight to the synagogue. He went to the... What, what did God call him to first? His own people. He went to his own first, and then when they reject him, that's why he can stand there and look at Jerusalem and say, hey, how often I've wanted like a mother hen to, I just wanted you to come to me, and you rejected me over and over, just as you did the prophets. And they're going to kill him just like they did the prophets. But here's the other part. We're going to fill in the gap so that we can see what is one of the other reasons that these men had so much confidence in Christ? Okay, the heading for this one is called Many Are Healed in my Bible. Verse 38, it starts. The, t the heading for chapter 5 of Luke is the first disciples. I never realized that this happened before he chose the disciples. You want to know another reason why they trusted on the Lord? Let's read in Luke chapter 4 and 38. Then he got up, that being Christ, and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. We're back at Peter's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. When the day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another reason that they had confidence in him, not only that, he healed the mother-in-law, and then every other person, it says every other person they brought to him that evening, he healed them or rid them of demons. They're watching a manifestation of God in a human being. They know this is the Christ. More and more and more, it's being solidified. This is not an ordinary man. This is the Messiah. This is who, that's why we see them go, Andrew, Peter, all them go to find Nathaniel, go to find him and say, we found him. We found the Messiah. Uh, if you've ever watched a show that has that moment in it and they depict it right, that is an awesome moment. The very first time ever that a human being realized that the Messiah was here, to me, that just, I love that moment. Because for the first time, God revealed himself in flesh to us. That's amazing. He's never been in the flesh before. Not like that. Not on a personal level, because he's a personal God. <laughs> 
And to me, that's, I love that. So he heals Peter's mother-in-law before he ever calls them. Then they watch him heal all these people. How can they not have faith in that? And that's I think about for ourselves. I, I saw things happen before. I saw people healed. I saw people come to. I saw people come to salvation. I saw people radically changed and thought, "How's that even possible?" Until it happened to me, and now I know exactly how it's possible because it's God. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God, because He did the work in me. Thank the Lord for that. Um, finally, the first disciples, we're not going to read every single account again, but our, yeah, well, we won't on every one of these. Before 18, we saw Peter, Andrew, James, and John. So I'm going to turn to Matthew. We have plenty of time. So in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, at the end, we'll start in 18. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter. How did he know he was called Peter? Because Jesus had already called him Peter. That's why, that's why he says that. And you, you have to read that before you, you come back and read this and go, why did Matthew say who was called Peter? At that time, Jesus Christ had already named him Cephas. So that's why he says who was called Peter at that time. Not he would be called Peter, but he was already called that. Because Jesus had already, we saw, given him that, that name. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. That was the most important things that Matthew could find. Does that make him a bad witness? No. I think that's the biggest thing. Like by doing this the way we are is, it's dispelling this ideology that because every single gospel doesn't say the same thing, that there's fallibility in the word of God and there's not. It's inerrant. It's just what we have been saying over and over, and maybe one day we'll get the opportunity to do that. We could show you, we could all watch a clip that's three minutes long, because we do this at school. Watch a three-minute clip, and we have everybody write something about that. It's different. Are there details that are the same? Yes, the main details are the same. The main details in here, every single person is noted, the same people. They're all at the same place. They all left what they were leaving but uh, the other stuff, was it really that important? Not, at, not for him at that time because he already had saving faith. That stuff was not important to him. He didn't need to note all this other stuff because he's like, I've already lived that. I've already, it wasn't about, it wasn't about everyone else. It was about Jesus and what he was doing in his ministry. So then if you would turn to Mark verse 1, if you would like to, starting in 16, 16 through 20 says, as he was going, this is Jesus, as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the, in the sea, for they were fishermen. Same thing Matthew just said. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. It is exactly the same with the exception of one thing. There's a hired servant now. Yeah. Now, why was that important? I don't know why that was important to Mark. Okay, Pastor? I know because we're in Mark. Uh, what you're talking about is the 
Peter and Andrew at the time of Matthew had been quote-unquote followers or believers of Christ for almost a year at this point because he's going back and forth building the ministry like he's talking about. The knowing the Jewish customs and the historical side of it is is really important to understand what's going on. They didn't just like you said leave a business and leave them high and dry and all that stuff. They they were preparing to to become disciples of a new rabbi. That's that was a big deal in Jewish custom. Their fathers were happy that a rabbi was was calling their sons because that's that's a huge spiritual thing. So there's a hired servant because I'm about to leave. I don't know when, but this rabbi is building his ministry. His prestige is, is he's, it was a known thing. A rabbi would come up through the synagogues teaching and preaching. He would gain followers. And then at a certain point in time, when he become reputable, he would, he would then take on disciples to teach. So cool. that's exactly what you're seeing right here. James, you know, the son of Zebedee and all them, hey, dad, we need to hire some, some help to keep the business going because our rabbi is soon going to start to teach us. Oh, okay. So that is it. Christ is doing, he's, he's not the, right? He come to fulfill the law. I didn't come to abolish the law. So he's following uh, what a rabbi would do. He's going around building his ministry. And then he's going to call followers. And then out of those followers, he's going to call those who he will teach because now I'm this rabbi. That's how they did it. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. See, context. Context is what it's about. So there we go. That's why there's a hired servant. I hope that, I hope that was loud enough you could all hear that. Um, but that's why there were hired servants in that was So now we go to Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. 5 through 11, now it happened that while the crowd was presenting, this, again, Luke gives us more detail. And now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee. It just depends on who's talking about it. I mean, I, I call it Hickory Cutoff, and other people call it other things. It just depends on where you're from. He says, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, I can just imagine like I'm envisioning this. These men have worked all night long. Now they're cleaning their nets. I don't know how long Christ spoke, but it was usually wasn't just for 10 minutes. So he's rode out and Jesus has taught the people. I mean, we think about every time that it talks about him teaching people, it's late in the evening and these people are hungry. So they feed them. Jesus doesn't talk for just a moment. The Sermon on the Mount is going to be three chapters. So this this man has been up for he could have been up for 24 hours at this point. I'm just being honest. Fished all night. He's tired. He's probably hungry. He's rowed his boat out. Jesus has taught. And now he's sitting there and the Lord tells him, throw your net out. And he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired from working all night. Now I've sat here this whole time. I just, could we just go back to the land, Lord? Could we just go back? And he says, and he, he cast it, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also, I'm sorry, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. But what's the last thing Jesus Christ did for those men? He gave them what they needed for their families. He gave them an abundance. More than they had ever caught, ever, ever, ever. That's how he left this. That's why at the very end, that's why he equi- they say he equips the call. calls the- That's what he just did. He said, listen, you're coming with me. But he just gave them more than they had ever had before. Because he knows for sure Peter's got a family. There's people back home that are relying on them to bring home food. So now he, he supplied their need right at the very end. I find that to be very significant because that's what God does. Even when we don't understand because the easiest thing to have done would have been said, Hey, Jesus, guess what? I'm tired. And I've been up all night. And, guess, and I've just sat and listened to you talk. That sure was an awful long sermon. Um, I mean, I'm being honest. Let's think about the flesh like people. You've worked all night. You've done everything. Then you show up to church the next morning and you're like, I wish he would shut up because he's been talking for 45 minutes. What more could you truly say, brother? You understand where I'm coming from? He was a man just with like passions, just as we are. But yet he sat there and when his master told him to do something, he had faith enough to move and do that. And look what he received for that. So they left everything. John omits this this event completely. The book of John does not even speak of this part. But guess what is I think is the awesome part about that is which book tells us about this event in a different way once Christ has been crucified and risen again? The book of John. Because what we find is is in John chapter twenty one at the everything's already happened. Guess what they're doing, guys? What they know to do. They went back to fishing. That's why we can say, and I love that the pastor knew that. I didn't know that, but I love that because they had made a provision in a way to sustain in their in their their absence to keep that going. So when they came back, they just stepped right back into those roles. And that's the easiest thing for us to do too. That's what we I would consider this a backslidden state for us now. It's very easy to backslide into where you were because what's the easiest thing to do? do what I did for 33 years. I was unsaved for 33 years. It is very simple for me to slide back into that position and just rest there. Because that's a very, believe it or not, and people say it's not, it is a very restful place. Not to be consumed with the thoughts of ministry. Not to be consumed with the thoughts of why. Not to be consumed with all of the things that come with salvation. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that now everything's willy-nilly. No, the reality is, yes, you've been set free from the burden of sin and from condemnation, but what you receive in the absence of having Christ is unbearable for a believer. If you do not have Christ and you are not centered in Christ, what you know is unbearable if you're not in Christ. It's impossible because it's only through the Spirit that we can live out this life. That's why whenever we fall away, you say what you want to. If you're not as close to the Lord as you were yesterday or the day before or the closest time you were close to Him, you're backslidden right now. 
We are, we are all honestly right now in a backslidden state to one degree or another. Every single person. Now, does that mean we're apostates? Most certainly not. It just means there was a time in our life, and you know when most of those times were? When it was really, really bad. We were so close to God because we were crying out to God. We were calling out to God. We were, and what did he do? He came through. That's, that's like this. What did Jesus tell them? He told them this was going to happen, and he told them what he wanted. They knew what they should have done, but did they do it? No, no. They went back to what they used to do. But here's the awesome part about that. Because they were his children, because we are his children, did he leave them there? He came back to them. And who was the first person that he appeared to after his death? It was Cephas on the road. Why? Because he knew that he needed that reassurance. I think about that. When it says he went away and he wept bitterly after he denied Christ, I want you to think about that for a minute. Oh, really? I want you to think about that. Like, I've read that a bunch of times, but in light of this, in light of this, he wept bitterly. He knew that Jesus was the Christ. He just, he just, we just read moments ago that he fell down on his knees and told the Lord he was a wicked sinner and that he, he didn't even deserve to be in his presence. This is the same man. But this is the same man that once he was restored, I, this is the way I see it, and I could be completely wrong, but this is my, whenever he's asking him, do you love me? Do you love me more than that fishing that you just went back to? Because you just eased right back into your fishing. Do you love me more than that? Feed my sheep. Well, yes, Lord, you know I do. Do you love me more than, are you sure you love me more than fishing? Because you sure didn't go out and preach the gospel. You went right back to fishing. Are you sure you love fishing more than you love me? Because there's always something that we love more than God. And that's what we go back to. And that's what he found himself going back to. What do you go back to? Because that's the thing that at that moment, you love that more than you love the Lord. Y'all were all guilty of that. But he's so faithful and just. And to forgive us and also to chastise us. Because I know by that third time, whenever he asked him, you know that he had to be. I just said it to you. I just said it to you, Lord. I just said it to you. You can almost hear it as you read it. He's breaking yep. it down. So, but what an awesome thing to be broken. Because it says it's better to fall on that and be broken than it is to be ground to powder. So if you would bow your heads. Father, we thank you again for another time in your word, for those things that you reveal, God. I thank you so much that you've put this together, Father, so that we could have a way, so that we could have confidence and faith in who you are and the things that you've done, Lord. We don't need to see it, Father. We just need to know it in our spirit through your word. Father, I pray that as we go into the service today, Lord, that we do worship you in spirit and truth, Father, that we lift up a joyful noise to you, Lord, that you receive it just as you do whenever it's from a contrite heart and it's sincere. Father, be with us as the word is preached. Lord, prepare our heart to receive it, Father, and not to reject it. Father, if there's those today that are in the service that don't know you, Lord, we ask that you would move on their behalf. We thank you, Father, for all that you do for us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you. Thank you.